That's a good time. That's a good time. I just want to just acknowledge there's troublemakers in the corner over here. <laughs> they're screaming. They're joking around. They seem to be enjoying. Uh, they got to be a Morgan. Uh. <laughs> Morning, everybody. Have a seat for a moment. Oh, I'm so glad to have you all here. You know what? Real quick, I just want to appreciate the groans that came with sitting down. Oh, yeah. Because I relate. Yeah. Like They're groaning because they were working at the yard sale this last three days or so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A lot of work. A lot of people blessed. I and, heard that uh, Jan actually shrunk an inch from walking so much. <laughs> she said it. Who did? Jan did? Yes. Oh, you worked so hard, Jan. Oh. Thank you. Thank you to all you who work. You know, we bless so many people in the community, giving away free, uh, all the free clothes. And, and it, just, it was just a blessing all the way around um, yeah, these last couple of days. We also did the <coughs> Colony Days yesterday there at Aurora Park, and that went fantastic. We gave out 450 donut holes. And uh, at the beginning of the day, uh, one of the community members came to, to, to our booth and said, didn't you do the... The, the Santa thing in the park at Christmas? And we go, yeah, that was us. And now you're giving out donut holes? Yeah, that's true. You just bring joy to the community, don't you? And we went, yes, we do. Yes, because we want people to understand that God cares about them. And, and all day long we were saying, you know, we're just trying to give out joy because the reality is, is there's not enough in the world right now. Um, unfortunately, the world's trying to find joy apart from Jesus, which is not going to work very well. Um, but he does want them to have joy in him. So that's, that, that, that was our time yesterday. It was a great time, a lot of great conversations, and uh, both here at the park and uh, here at the church and at the park as well. So, yeah, we had a great time. Hopefully you guys did too. Again, thank you for all you who've done all that stuff, getting the, the place ready all, and all that. Now, we do have a few announcements, I think, right? Yes? Business meeting right after the church. Wait, We're going to... Skip the potluck, right? Is there a potluck? There is still going to be a potluck, but we're going to start the business meeting first, right here, immediately after the service. We're going to give you like two minutes to, if you need to take something out of the uh, uh, the, uh, the oven, or you just you can't wait to go to the bathroom, whatever it is. But we want to very quickly get that starting because we have a few things we need to let you know about, um, and we need to affirm our elders. And there's, there's a, it's not a long business meeting that we just kind of need to. To, to, to get a few things communicated to you guys. So we're going to do that immediately after the service today. And then a potluck afterwards. Um, and speaking of that also, because of the yards, whenever we finish the yard sale, there's always leftovers. Lots of leftovers. And so what I'm asking for is before you leave today, go back to the youth room, which is on the far end of the church, and take at least one box to take to Goodwill. <laughs> Just one. And maybe a couple of pieces of cardboard because we have a lot of cardboard boxes that need to be taken to. So just one, at least one box. If you can take two or three, it's great, but at least one. And that would make our job a whole lot easier in moving them forward to wherever they need to go. Okay? Um, any other announcements? No? Is there any other announcements, Joe? Yes, there's Coloring at least... Coloring group is coming up. I was going to tell you there was another announcement. Okay. The, color, the coloring group. The, yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank, thank you, Joe. Yes! 
Oh, you were still you were still doing yes, something. Yes, let's try this again. Nope. Uh, all right. Coloring <laughs> August 29th here at the church at 7 p.m. Um, yeah, why do we do things like that? We do that because we we know that the reason for people to come to Jesus, especially later in life, is through a relationship with a Christian. And we want to provide opportunities for you to do something with your non-Christian friends to come and they can realize, hey, Christians aren't weird. There's a couple of Right? But they're not the bigoted, judgmental people that the media tells them. Well, there's a few, but we're not. And not all of them are, right? So that's what these things are for. To bring that, so you have something to bring them to that you can socialize with them and bring... And deepen that relationship with them. That's why we do coloring groups and craft nights. That's why we're, we, we do some of these outings and stuff. So that you, you can, you can d- develop that relationship with them. In a non-threatening... Because a non-Christian is unlikely to immediately come to a church without first having a relationship with a Christian. It does happen. But most of the time, no. Okay. So use this as an opportunity. Go to your neighbor and say, hey, I got a coloring thing. You want to come to it? There you go. All right. Any other announcements? Yes. Coffee. coffee? Men's coffee. coffee. Same thing. Men's coffee on next Saturday morning um, here at the church, 8 a.m. Okay. There was okay. another one. I saw another one. Look at that. Craft. See, look at that. Craft and gather. Is that next Saturday too? 20th. Two sat- Mint's Coffee is in two Saturdays. Next Saturday is the Craft and Gather, and so that's what that is. Again, we're just going to do crafty things, right? It could be anything. doesn't matter. They're going to provide some stuff, but they don't ha- you don't have to do that. Okay? All right. I think that's all of them. I believe that's all of them. All right, today, we are finishing the... Uh, well, no, we're not finishing. We're moving on to the next phase in the story of, of Ruth. We've had the, the, the midnight connection be, with, with Boaz and Ruth on the threshing floor, that deep, inner, um, excuse me, intimate moment where she proposed, hey, Boaz, will you marry me? And he says, I'm going to take care of this. And he heads off to town. We're going to find out today what happens in town and the priorities of Boaz versus a Mr. So-and-so. Let's see what happens. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to be in your, in your, worship, in your worship, to be here in your, in your, in, in, with your people. We ask that you would help us to hear your voice, both in the songs and in the, the music, and in, in, the, in the conversations with the people around. We pray that you would bless us as we bless you and praise you. We need to hear your voice. And so I ask that you, you, would, you would bless Bless this service, both here who, who have gathered here in person and those who hear us online, that they would be blessed in the hearing of your, vo- of, of, of your word, because you deserve it, Jesus. Father, that we would, we would focus on... Um, acknowledging your blessings this morning um, and uh, to consider 
expressing our gratitude, not just through worship, but through each moment, and that we are more open to seeing to seeing your blessings, even in what are otherwise mundane moments, Father. And we sing to you this morning. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I, I really pray that each of us would find some remarkable, miraculous connection with you that allows us to perceive in, in a better perspective the weight, gravity of your grace and your sacrifice for us, that it would resonate with us more than it ever has. As we are praying about blessings, that we would look at this ultimate gift and, and it would resonate and change us, Lord. Oh, yes, Father. Lord, help me to bring glory to you by communicating accurately what your word says. Help us to think through the implications for our lives about what it says about your heart and, and ours. Help me. Help us. To your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, is a story, is, is a part of a story where two men people, two men, have a clash of values where they're each going to do a, a cost analysis, where a cost analysis is, a, is an accounting term in which what you, you figure out, okay, what is this going to cost me and what profit am I going to get out of it? And, and, and you put those two things together and you analyze it. And you come out, is this a good choice? Is this a good investment? Should I do this? If I do this, is it worth it? And these two people are going to have two very different answers because they're looking at life through two very different value systems. One of them is Boaz, and the other one is a, is a man who doesn't have a name. We'll call him Mr. So-and-so, or Mr. Nobody. Here's, this is the question that you need to ask yourself, and it's what they're asking themselves, is it worth it? All right? Now, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. This is right after, like I said, that Ruth and Boaz had met on the threshing floor in that, in the, that midnight encounter, that this intimate moment between the two, and I don't mean that in a, in a physical sense. I mean that just in a very private. In that, in that day and age, man and a woman couldn't really talk privately like this. 
This is why it had to happen like that. Because it couldn't happen. A man couldn't approach a woman privately or vice versa. So they had to figure out a way to do this. And Boaz probably had thought about getting to, you know, having a relationship with Ruth, but she's much younger than him. She wouldn't want me. But he doesn't know that Naomi conspired, planned, orchestrated a meeting between him and Ruth where Ruth said, no, I want to marry you, Boaz. And one of the things I found interesting that I didn't bring up last week is how instantaneously Boaz decides on what he's going to do. There's no hesitation. There's no debate. There's no, I need to think about this. No, he immediately says to Ruth, I will do everything you ask. You asking for marriage, and I know there's more you need, I will do that. And after the night is over, he sends Ruth home, and Boaz goes up to the city. And he sits down there, and he waits. You get the impression this is early in the morning, because Ruth left before it was light. So he's going up there at the break of dawn. He's right there at the beginning of the day because he doesn't want to miss this opportunity. He's a man in, on a mission. He is going to deal with this, just as Naomi said at the end of last chapter. The man will not rest until it's dealt with. He goes there. Then you have this, this, this Hebrew word of, and behold, it's this idea of, uh, dun, da, da, dum. it's like the guy has shown up. Um, the Redeemer whom Boaz had spoken by came over. Now, this, this version says the Redeemer. In the, in the Greek, it's a weird word that basically purposely doesn't say his name. Now, some of your, your translations will say, um, well, wait a minute, that's the next verse. So Mr. Boaz says, to us, turn aside, Mr. And I, I put in there, Mr. No Name. Some of them will put my friend. Some of them will say um, that the man... It's purposely not putting the name because this man doesn't deserve a name. He says, you, come here, sit down. And he turned aside and sat down with Boaz at the beginning, at the, at the gate. And then Boaz, he goes and he gets, he takes 10 other men from the city and sit, says, sit down here. So they sat down. He's arranging he's setting up a formal legal scenario a court we're going to make we're going to do a business transaction here we're going to deal with this matter today right now he's got the witnesses and he's got the two parties involved mr no name and boaz and what is the issue the issue is boaz says to the Mr. Nobody, the other redeemer, because there was two people who could deal with the problem here. Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. Now, what has happened, just because I know some of you have not always has followed us through the whole story, Naomi with Elimelech had gone to another country, but Moab, and was there for 10 years. But they obviously didn't sell the land at that. Maybe they thought they would come back immediately. Whatever the reason is, they didn't sell the land. But the tragedy befell them. They came back to the land. And Naomi doesn't have a husband, doesn't have children. It's just her and Ruth. 
They're destitute, in a destitute in a, a, to a level that rarely in America could we get. There's nothing for her other than this piece of land who, if it's sold, can at least take care of Naomi for the rest of her life. So this is the issue. She needs to sell this land so she can have something to live off of. This is, now, he hasn't sold the land, but she's selling it. So Boaz says to her, says to Mr. No Name, so, Mr. No Name, I thought I would tell you about this so that you might deal with it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here, in the presence of the elders of my people. Deal with it, Mr. Boaz, Mr. No Name. You you, you know about this, but you've been dragging your feet. Deal with it now. You need to buy this land. And this is, right? And then it continues. And if you redeem it, redeem it. Don't, don't dilly-dally. But if you will not, you need to let me know so I can do it. <laughs> because there's nobody else can do it besides you and me. You're first in line. Maybe they're brothers of Elimelech. We don't know for sure, but... They're close relatives, and whoever nobody is, he's a little bit closer in, in relation to Elimelech than Boaz is. You need to deal with it, but if you don't deal with it, I will. So what do you say? And he says, I'll deal, deal with it. Sure. And you need to think about what's happening here. To think through what is Mr. No Name's process of thought. It takes a little bit of understanding of how land worked in the promised land, in the land of Israel. When they originally went into the land, um, through Moses, um, excuse me, through, through Joshua, they, they, well, the land was divided up into all the families and then smaller and smaller parcels. So everybody had land, and that was, it was God's land, but they, God lent it to them, and it was meant to be a permanent possession of the family, and there were all kinds of laws designed to keep it in the family, and so if, if, if you were poor and you needed it, what you would do is you would sell it, and a redeemer, a, a near relative is supposed to buy it, give it and give the land back so the land wouldn't go away. So the land never leaves the family. But this is what Mr. No Name is thinking. He's doing the cost analysis in his head. If I buy this land, who's it going to end up going to? Naomi doesn't have any children. All of her children are dead. She's old. I'll buy the land, and then in it, not too far in the future, Naomi's going to pass on, and then who gets the land? I do. I permanently increase my land in the, in, in the land of Israel. This is a good deal, because it's really high to, hard to permanently get more land. But she will, he will, because Naomi doesn't have an heir. And Ruth... She's a Moabite. Who's going to marry Ruth, right? There's not, there's not going to be any children that way. So I'm going to get the land. This makes good financial sense. So he says, I'm going to redeem it. 
Absolutely. And then Boaz says, by the way, just thought I'd let you know, on the day that you buy that field from the hand of Naomi, because he's buying it from Naomi, I, or you, depending on the translation, also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead, that is Elimelech, in his inheritance. I need to pause and help, help you understand why I put I instead of you. Two things. One, there are some versions or copies of this original text um, that have you. And, and a lot of your translations all have you. Um, but the older manuscripts have I and not you. But they don't understand. And, 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 and they'll, what they'll do is they'll put like in parentheses or a little copyist note on the outside, you. It's not a huge deal. But part of the reason why I think they do this is because some of the some of the copyists think that what's in view is leveret marriage. We've talked about that. But it is not in view. There is no legal requirement for Mr. Nobody to also marry Ruth. It just isn't there, even in the text itself. Because as we saw you know, last week, Ruth was free to marry anybody. He could have, she, he, Boaz says you could have married a young man or you could have married an old man. You could have married anybody, but you're choosing me, he says. Ruth could have, could have married anybody. So there's no legal requirement for, for Mr. Nobody to, buy, to marry Ruth. What they're basing it on is Deuteronomy 25. If a brother dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family of the stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of the husband's brother to her. Why? And the first son whom she bears shall succeed the name of the dead brother that his name may not, may not be blotted out of Israel. It's a way to make sure that the mother is taken care of, the daughter is taken care of. It's a way to make sure that the family doesn't disappear in the land of Israel. But Elimelech, who, whose land it is, doesn't have a brother alive. Naomi doesn't have a brother. That's not who's involved here. So who? This is not what's involved. Ruth, Ruth has no brother. No, there's no brother to marry Ruth. They're both dead. So that's not what's involved here. Now, the image is, is the same. In other words, leveret marriage is for a childless widow and her, for her brother-in-law to marry and produce an heir. That's the point. So, but Boaz is saying here, the day that you buy the field from Naomi, I think it makes more sense for him to say, by the way, you need to know, Today I'm marrying Ruth. For what purpose? To perpetuate the name of the dead. I'm going to marry Ruth. And my first child, just so you know, Mr. So-and-so, 
is going to be heir to that land you're about to buy. You should know that. You should know that that little calculation you just did in your head, that you're going to pay for that, that land, and sooner or later it's mine, ain't going to happen. You're going to pay for that land, maybe. But my firstborn through Ruth gets the land. And so the Redeemer says, Mr. So-and-so, <laughs> oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I can't do that. Sorry, I can't redeem it for myself. At least I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I can't do it. He cannot backpedal fast enough. As soon as he realizes that there's going to be an heir to that land, uh-uh, can't do it. Why? Because his own financial stability will be hurt. Why this sudden re retraction? Why does he suddenly backpedal? It's the cost analysis. He's looking at the dollar signs, or shekel signs, or denarius signs. W wait a minute, I'm going to spend all this money and I'm getting nothing out of it? No, not going to do that. That does not make good financial sense. Why would I do that? All I'm going to do is I'm going to spend all this money and get nothing out of it and, and endanger my own financial estate? No. Not going to do it. He is looking at the world purely from a financial sense. To which Boaz says, I don't look at the world that way. He doesn't look at the world purely from what makes financial sense to me. And he, he says, yeah, okay, well, I'll, I'll do it then. Verse 7. Now, in those days, it was custom in Israel for everyone who is transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. So the family of the Redeemer drew off his sandal and said to Boaz, you buy the land. Then, Bo then Boaz said to the elders and the crowd standing around, you are witnesses that today that I have bought from Naomi all the prophet of Elimelech. That was what was in question, Kilion and Maon. And by the way, and with the land, by the way, I also am acquiring Ruth. That is, I'm marrying Ruth to be my wife. This way, she can have a son and carry on the family name and the dead husband to inherit the property here in the hotel, You are all witnesses. Now what's the deal with the shoe? I told you there's weird customs then. We don't really know. Biblically, there's this idea that if you put your foot on something, that you own it, you've conquered it, it belongs to you. You can get this, for example, when you see um, Abraham being told by God that everywhere you set your foot shall be your possession. It's maybe that kind of sense. He's taking, the, the, the Mr. Nobody is giving the right to own that to Boaz. To which Boaz says, I got it. I'm going to take care of you, Ruth, by marrying you. And I'm going to take care of your mother by buying the property. And I'm going to take care of our child 
by saying that he will inherit your father-in-law's Elimelech's property. Will I be out a lot of money? Yep. Will it endanger my inheritance? Maybe. But it's worth it to do the right thing, to do the godly thing by being a redeemer, a true redeemer. The cost analysis is worth it. I love you, Ruth. I love Naomi. And, and beyond all that, this is what Yahweh, the God of our, of our, of our people, would want me to do. It's worth it. Redemption is costly. Following God's way of doing things will put you in a position to have a different way of analyzing whether or not an action is worth it versus your culture. Whether it's the culture of back then or in America today, they will say that's not worth your time, that's not worth putting your money in, that's not worth putting your energy in, because the profit isn't there by whatever value system they may have. But people like a Boaz would say, but those things aren't what I'm thinking about. I'm trying to act like our God here. I'm trying to do what's right even if it costs me financially to do it. And what that reminds me of, things like Matthew 6, where Jesus says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, excuse me, on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but instead lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves break in and steal, for where your treasure is, is where your heart is. You want to know how, where, what you really are your values? It's not what you say. It's where you put your time. It's where you put your money. It's where you put your energy. It'll tell you, sure as can be, what is your value system. Because you're making a cost analysis all the time. Is this worth my time? The one resource, of course, is the most scarcest of all of our resources of our lives. It's not money. It's our time. We, don't, we only have a finite, and you can't get any more of it. What are you doing with it? Money. What are you doing with it? So many of us will be like Mr. Nobody, who who didn't even deserve to have his name recorded on in the pages of Scripture because of his choice. Because his values were so out of whack that God wouldn't even have his name written down for us to know it. What is our values? As Jesus put it in 9, if you give up your life for my sake... You're going to save it. And what benefit, my dear people, if you gain everything in the whole world, but you lose your soul? 
There's a value system that's different. Live for eternity. Live for, for storing up things in, in the age to come that matters. And if I may be so bold, this is something the American church really needs to hear. That we are so... I'm in one of those moments where do I say what I'm going to say? So blankety blank focused on the here and now that we lose the eternal issues. We really get our, need to get our priorities straight of what's important. Speaking of Kathy, she often will say something. Is, is that eternal? Is that an eternal thing to be worried about, Brian? Right? Yes, right. Because we get so worked up over stupid stuff. Stu no, not stupid stuff. Stuff that is of fleeting significance. We pour our time and our energy and our money into things that in the end don't matter. Where rust and moth destroy. And Jesus isn't just talking about money. He's talking about every resource you have. You need to be like a Boaz. You need to be like Jesus. He was the most successful person in history, we would say. But he ended with no money. He ended with no clothes. Why? Because he didn't come to be served, but to give his life away to other people. We want to be like Paul, who said, whatever I gain I had, I count as a loss for the sake of Jesus. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things that I may count them as rubbish. With as smart as Paul was, as, as motivated is, he probably could have made a lot of money and been very successful in politics, a lot very successful in finance. He could have had a significant legacy when he died on earth. But that wasn't his point. That wasn't his, that wasn't his value system. His value system was like Boaz, who says, I'm going to do the right thing no matter what the cost is it's, because I know that Serving God, doing what God would want me to do, is worth it. And we know the rest of the story with Boaz, don't we? We know his name. Talk about a legacy. And through his choice now comes the greatest king in the nation of Israel's history, David. And more than that, through this choice, comes the Savior of the world, Jesus. Why? Because Boaz didn't care what the cost was to do the right thing. Was it worth it? Yes. It's worth it. Let's not be like nobody. Let's be like a Boaz. Redemption is costly. And I'm going to call the people who've served in this church 
You guys are putting in time. You're giving your energy. You're giving your, 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 your service. You're giving it to ministries. And I know some of your, your family, some of your friends, some of your coworkers may be saying, why are you giving your time with that? You could be doing more with your life. The answer is, no, I couldn't. Because you will be rewarded in eternity a hundred times more than what you could have earned here. It's worth it to serve Jesus. And I am so thankful that you've done that, including this week. May God bless you incredibly for all the service you guys have done to this church, whether it's here, whether it's in another ministry, whether it's serving people at work, whatever it is, when you're serving and doing the right thing, may God bless you for that. May he give you a hint of the reward that's coming because of your service, because you have not chosen the value system of the world. You've chosen to do the right thing, to love your neighbor, whatever the cost to do so. In fact, I was just praying to you, Lord, yeah, bless them. And I do pray that you would open, open our eyes to see, see when we're, our value system is not in line with yours, when we have been deceived into switching the price tags on things. Help us to live, help us to have a correct cost analysis of how we spend our time and our energy and our, and, our, and our money. That, Lord Jesus, that we could be rewarded a hundred, a thousandfold and more in eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. introduced this song last week, so if you are here last week, this will be familiar, kind of. If you weren't here last week, you'll be lost with a bunch of other people. Amen. Good job, good job. I want you to take a seat on this song. This is, um, we're going to slow down things a little bit now that we get your heart rate up. We really just want you to feel that blood pumping through your ears. Uh, I want to affirm a couple people out there that I saw that were enthusiastically responding to that song. The young man right over there who can't tell that I'm pointing at him. Yeah. Is he taking a nap now after that song? Okay, I just want to check in. No, it's, he's fine. <laughs> you used the word stupid and then you backed off. Uh, the word I think of is foolish. You know, uh, we tend to be foolish in our decision-making that um, I talk to Sam about that sometimes, my son. Occasionally the word stupid will come out of one of our mouths and we'll go, is it stupid or is it foolish? And then, because I think we're often quite foolish. Earlier we did um, uh, When My Soul... Uh, by our friend Ross King. And I, as we were doing it, I just wanted to reflect. Uh, I remember the, the moment I can see myself at a point in time in a specific geographic place where I went, 
this has to be shared with the congregation because I was weeping. And I'm like, considering just all the weight of all the, just almost said stupid, uh, the foolish things that I've done and the, the hurtful things that I've done to myself and to other people and all those reasons that I could think of why I am not deserving of his grace. And he did, he's like, I got it. I got it. You're not so far gone. And um, I love hearing you sing it. I just wanted to thank you for that blessing that I have received from you in that. Stand as you're able for this one. seated. Jesus, who although he was in the form of God, did not count equality to be God, with God something to be grasped, held on to, not let go of. Instead, he, he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, of a human, and being found and born in the likeness of man, and found in human form, he humbled himself. Can we be obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross? Therefore, because he chose that path, God has exalted him and bestowed upon him a name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and earth, and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. For Jesus, a life of sacrifice was worth it. Satan offered him all the kingdoms of the world, and he says, I got a better deal than that. I got a better deal, and so do you. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he says, this is my body given for you, given away for you. And he was crushed for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The, the punishment that brings us peace with God was laid upon him as all the, the, the righteous anger at your failings, your foolishness, um, was laid upon Jesus, all your sin. All the things that God might get angry at you over, all of that, that wrath was removed as he was laid on Jesus and he took the full brunt of the judgment you deserved. In the same way, after supper, he says, this is the cup now of the, uh, of the new agreement, new covenant between God and man that says you, that, that my blood forgives you of all your sins, of washes you clean, makes you my child, makes you my, my co-heir. You belong to him and he belongs to you. The cost of his blood 
is what makes you co-owners of eternity, with G of all creation with him for eternity. Amazing. Come to the table and receive again the, the assurance that God loves you. And may this be today a, 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 a rededication that you're going to live your life following the pattern of Jesus who didn't follow the, the value systems of the world but decided to live for the glory of God the Father, for the eternal rewards above temporary ones. Come to the table as we sing, I don't remember which song I put in there. All because of the cross. All because of the cross. And then we'll share together at the end. Jesus, for your love for us. Thank you that you, pour, you paid the cross for us to be yours, to be loved for eternity, to have a, an inheritance along with all the other saints and with you. You are amazing. Thank you. We want to follow after you. Thank you for the forgiveness. In Jesus' name, the body and blood of Christ given for you. May God bless you today and forever as he gives you opportunities to invest in eternity by serving other people, by doing the right thing. May God bless you and keep you forever. You're dismissed.